I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello everybody and welcome back to the podcast. I know we've been away for a while again. It's been really manic and my organisation skills have been a little bit... There's room for improvement, let's put it that way. Um, but we are back. Um, we've got a few episodes in the tank so we will hopefully be able to do these weekly again now. Today's episode though is all about transitions. It's something we do we do it on a daily basis when we ride our horses, whether it's popping up into trot out on a hack to get out of the way of a car, whether it's popping up into canter to go and jump a course of fences or to work on a counter canter, and even just coming back down to walk to give our horses a breather or a pat or use the walk as a reward. We do it all really instinctively. But today I want to hopefully get you all to understand why every single transition you do is so important and how they can help to improve your horse, yes, but also your riding when we do them the right way. So transitions form a really solid basis for everything that we do in dressage. They are obviously in every single test. So we have them in intro, we have them all the way up to Grand Prix. But they are also a really valuable exercise that we need to be including in every single training session that we do. So today we're going to be going through the different types of transitions. We're going to be looking at how they help us in training, kind of the benefits of them. We're going to be looking at what the judges are looking for when we do these transitions in a test and how to actually ride really good transitions, what the aids are and what we kind of need to be looking for when we ride them with our horses. So let's start from the beginning again. We've got loads of different types of transitions, but we tend to kind of categorise them into two different types. So we've got upwards transitions and we've got downwards transitions. 
upwards transitions are the ones that take you from one pace up to a more forward pace. So say from walk up into trot. And downwards transitions are ones that tend to take you from one pace down to a slower pace. So from trot back to walk. Within that, though, we have our basic transitions, which are the ones most people tend to think about when we talk about transitions. This is going from one pace to the next. So from walk to trot, from walk to halt and so on. Then, though, we have our transitions within the paces. And this is where we stay in the same pace. So, for example, let's say we're cantering and we adjust the tempo, or we adjust the ground cover to go from one canter to another canter. So we might go from a collected canter to a medium canter. We might go from a slower canter to a faster canter. And finally, we have what I call skipper pace transitions. And these are the ones where we go from one pace to another, missing out one or two paces in the middle. So you might go from halt straight up into trot, missing out the walk. Or you might go from walk up into canter, missing out the trot. Now we have loads of examples of all of the different basic transitions, all of the different transitions within the paces, and all of the different skipper pace transitions all on the website. You can find them in the training articles on the website if you want to delve a little bit deeper into those and all the different types of transitions you can do. And these are going to be really helpful if you're looking to start doing more transitions in your sessions. You will see how many different ones are available. I think in total there was a good over 20, I think, when I worked it out, different transitions that you can do in a session. And this is ultimately what we want to speak about today and what I kind of want you to to remember from this episode is how beneficial transitions are for your training because they are so valuable. And the great thing is that every rider and every horse can do them. You might just be starting out and you can practice walk to halt transitions or walk to trot transitions or equally, you might be at Grand Prix and you'll be working on your PF passage transitions or passage to canter transitions. And everything in between. You might be a show jumper, you might be an eventer, you might be a polo player. Transitions come into every discipline at every level, which is why they are so important from a test and a competition perspective. But they are also so helpful for our horses too. So I think... I think it was Carl that said you kind of want to be aiming for around 100 transitions per session that you do. And that is purely because they have so many benefits. So both downward and upward transitions are ultimately really great for improving your horse's strength because they have to take more weight onto their hind leg. But it's also great for horses that need to start to carry a little bit more weight on their hind leg, come off their forehand and improve their balance. They're also really great. You'll see there's a list coming here. They're also really great for training responsiveness and reactions to your aid. So this is really great for horses that are potentially maybe a bit too hot and a bit too overreactive and equally horses that are a little bit too lazy too. It's also going to be really helpful for your control. And I talk about this when I talk to my eventers and my show jumpers, as well as my dressage riders, that that ability for you to be able to control the speed of your horse 
and also be able to adjust that speed instantly as and when you want to is so vital when you're jumping but also so vital when we're doing our dressage too transitions are also really great for keeping our horse's attention on you so if you find that your horse gets really bored in sessions it can help to make them more interesting and it can also be really helpful if your horse gets distracted or spooky or loses focus you can add in little transitions everywhere to keep them focused on you and listening to you and not focused on everything else that's going on around them so you get the gist they are really helpful they're going to help make your horse stronger they're going to help make your horse more responsive and listening to you they're going to help keep your horse focused they're going to help to add kind of more interest into your sessions to keep them more interesting for you and for your horses and they're also great for balance rhythm suppleness all of those things that we want to be achieving in our sessions transitions can help you with that so we know they're good But what are the judges looking for when we start to see them in tests? So as we've kind of said, they're in tests all the way through and they get progressively harder as we progress through the levels. So to start with that kind of intro and prelim, you'll see your basic transition. So you're going to see walk to trot at prelim. You're going to see trot to canter and you're going to see those transitions back down again. But you're also going to see a few transitions like our transitions to walk for two to five steps and then back up into trot and perhaps a few canter changes of leg through trot. So where you go canter, trot for a few strides up into canter on the other lead. The point of these is that they are there to show off your horse's obedience and responsiveness to your aids. So the judges are going to be looking for the fact that as soon as you put that aid on, your horse responds. Now, if you'll find that your horse isn't like that and you put your aid on and your horse doesn't respond, the way to fix this is doing more transitions, doing them well, which we're going to get to later, and doing more of them to keep them listening and focused on you. As we progress through then, things are going to start to get a bit more difficult. So at elementary, we've got our simple changes. So we've got transitions from canter to walk and then back up into canter. And at medium, we then see these simple changes happening from a counter canter. We also have the introduction of transitions within the paces from novice level. So we might see a few steps medium trot and then at elementary, you've got collected to medium. And then at medium, you've got transitions from collected to extended and back again. All of these still show off your horse's obedience and responsiveness. But it also starts to show their ability to sit, their ability to compress, their ability to collect and to go from that really compressed and collected frame into that extended, more open frame and stay balanced, which requires a lot more strength. It requires a lot more agility from your horse. And it also is going to require more correct, more effective and really refined aids from you as the rider and ultimately really good training to produce these really good transitions. And then even higher up, we're going to see passage, PF, passage transitions. We have passage to extended walk, which really shows the ability for the horse to really compress and sit and really then open up into a really relaxed frame for the extended walk. We've got passage to canter, which is really difficult and tons more. They all require even more obedience, even more responsiveness 
for these horses to go from a passage which requires so much collection and sit and push from the hind leg into a super relaxed extended walk or up into canter it requires some really good correct training and some really good correct riding to be able to perform these well in all of these transitions though Ultimately, the judges are going to be looking for exactly the same thing. So no matter whether you are seeing a transition from walk up into trot or PF into passage, the judges are going to be looking for really similar things. And we're going to put this into two parts. We're going to look first at the horse's paces themselves. And when judges look at the horse's paces, they're going to be looking for seven things to be apparent. I say seven, I mean six things to be apparent throughout this transition. The first one is rhythm. So they're gonna be looking for a correct rhythm for both the first pace and the pace that you then transition into. We're also gonna be looking for a really correct, regular and even tempo. So we don't want to see speeding up and slowing down. We want the same speed throughout for the first pace and then the same speed throughout for the second pace. The next thing is suppleness. So we want the horse to be working over their backs, not resisting, not hollowing, not tensing when the rider puts those aids on for the transition. The next thing is contact. So throughout this transition, we want to see a really consistent, really elastic contact. So we don't want to see the horse coming behind a bit or leaning onto the forehand or getting too strong. The fourth thing then is impulsion. So we need an active pushing hind leg to create a really great pingy upward transition and also to help us achieve that really smooth downward transition as well. The fifth thing they're going to be looking for is straightness. So we can't have cricket transitions, no quarters coming in or out, no falling out or in through the shoulders. And the final thing is collection. And this is required a lot more as we progress through the levels. But to perform these transitions well, your horse is going to need to be able to sit and stay balanced from their hind leg to begin with. It's not going to require a huge degree of collection. So if you're doing a transition from trot to walk, we're going to need our horses to sit and stay a little bit balanced on our hind leg. But when we go from a transition, let's say from passage into PF, that's going to require a hell of a lot more sit and a hell of a lot more balance and strength from our horse's hind legs. All of this, though, we want to make sure that our horses stay balanced and that they're not leaning themselves onto the forehand. They're staying uphill, both in the upward and in the downwards transitions. So that's the six things. Now, if you have listened to this podcast regularly, you will know that these six things are quite familiar. They are ultimately called the scales of training. And these are the things that judges look for throughout all tests, for all movements, when they are deciding on the marks that they're going to give. So they are the six things that are really important for every movement, but also very much important for our transitions. So that's in terms of the way of going then. The next part that the judges are going to be looking at is exactly the execution of the movement. So this is much more about you as the rider. How do you set it up? How do you prepare for the transition? How do you ride the transition? How accurately do you perform the movement? And ultimately, how correct has your training been to make sure that this transition pays off in the test? So they're going to look at three things. 
they're going to look at the response. So how did the horse respond when you put your transition aid on? Did they resist? Did they brace? Did they tighten? Did they evade in any way? Or did they obediently and softly respond quickly to your aids? Preparation then is the second thing. So the preparation or setup that you do as a rider can determine whether you're going to get a good transition or a bad transition. If you prepare your horse and you make sure they're soft, you make sure they're on the bit, you make sure they're listening to you, you make sure they're ready to go and they're focused on you, they are far more likely to produce a really obedient, really relaxed transition. If, however, you come in crooked with your horse behind you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com leg with your horse hollow we all kind of know it's unlikely that transition is going to go well so your preparation is really important here that you are thinking about that transition a little bit earlier on that you're setting your horse up and you're preparing them to do a really good transition now the third thing that the judges are going to look at is your accuracy the judge is going to look for the first step of the transition to be as the rider's body crosses over the marker. So a transition that's too late or too early is going to signal either a lack of accuracy from the rider or potentially a lack of response from your horse. So if the transition is late or if your horse is anticipating, the transition is probably going to be early. Or if your transition is too late, probably because you've had a bit of a lack of response, your horse has got a little bit lazy. Equally, if the transition isn't correct, perhaps our horse canters instead of trotting, or they maybe jog in the transition from extended walk to collected walk, this is obviously all going to lose us marks too. And this same logic of looking at the horse's way of going with those six scales of training and then the presentation of those movements with our accuracy, preparation and response works for pretty much any movement you do in a test. So it's quite a handy system to have in your head when you're test riding to help you work out what kind of mark you might get from a judge for each movement. So we've spoken a bit then about why you need to be doing loads of transitions in your sessions We've spoken a bit about what the judges are looking for when you have them in your tests. Now I want to talk a bit more about the practicalities. How do we actually ride the transitions? What do we actually need to do with our legs? What do we need to do with our seat? What do we need to do with our reins to make these transitions correct and have the most benefit for our horses? Because ultimately, if you start riding these transitions really badly and your horse is on the forehand and they trot three strides after you've asked and they're unbalanced, it's not going to be beneficial for them. It's not going to progress them in their training. It's not going to make them stronger, more athletic, more balanced, and so on. 
so for both the upward and downwards transitions, every single one you do needs to be prepared and set up. And what I mean by this is that we want to start from a good walk, trot or canter before we ride the transition. So often, and to be fair, I am guilty of this myself. Every rider has done it where they kind of fling their horses up into trot and then up into canter because their focus is ultimately on the fact that what they're about to work on is their canter half pass or their counter canter or their simple changes or something from the canter. When in actual fact, what we've just taught our horses in those five seconds is that they don't always need to give us a good transition to trot or canter. So the biggest advice I can ever give when it comes to transitions is to make sure you start with a good walk, trot or canter. Focus riding every good transition. And if a transition doesn't go right, come back, go again. And when you treat every transition as this kind of opportunity to teach your horse how you want them to do these transitions, it much more quickly becomes automatic, both for you and them, to do really good transitions all the time. And that's going to make it so much easier to then go and do them in your tests. If you're inconsistent, though, and sometimes you want a good transition and sometimes you don't, your process is going to be much slower because ultimately it's going to be really confusing for your horse. Sometimes you're going to want this type of transition. Sometimes you're going to want a different one. So they're going to have no clue what you want and what you're trying to achieve. So let's start with the downwards transitions first then, because these are the ones that have a tendency to be a little bit more tricky. Now, in an ideal world, we're wanting the majority of the aids to come from our seat if possible. Now, when a horse is green or they're just starting to kind of work on transitions, you may find you have to use a bit more rein than you want to start with. But that gives you something to work on. And you can focus on phasing out the use of your rein and teaching your horse to respond more to your seat as you progress through and start doing these transitions more and more. It's going to lead to better transitions if you can use your seat more and it's going to help your horse to stay balanced and get stronger and not rely on the rein, both from a case of kind of going onto the forehand and getting stronger, but also from a case of being able to actually transfer that weight onto their hind leg to develop their hind leg strength. So we're going to divide the aids up into legs, seat and reins. So first things first, we're going to talk about the legs. So when we do a downwards transition, we want to lengthen our leg. We want to close our calf around the barrel of our horses. Now, this seems a bit counterintuitive that we are wanting to go slower and come down a pace, but we are putting our leg on. And this is ultimately because we want to keep a really forward momentum into our downwards transitions. We want to keep the horse's hind leg really active and we don't want to get those sudden transitions where our horse is kind of skid to a stop. So that's what our leg's for. We're not kicking, we're not using our heels, we're just closing our calf around our horse's bellies just to keep them pushing into that transition. With our seat then, we do two things. We're going to want to sit back and a little bit deeper into the saddle. So imagine... It's kind of the same feeling as, you know, when you push a phone charger into the plug, that's the kind of feeling you want to get. You want to feel like you plug your seat bones down into the saddle. And this is going to engage your horse's hind leg and it's going to get them to step a little bit more under. 
The next thing you're going to do is you're going to squeeze with your upper thighs. So imagine you're almost trying to close them a little bit tighter together. And this is going to be the main aid for our downwards transition. This is going to stop the energy traveling forward and it's going to bring our horse back a little bit. They're going to step under and they're going to make that transition down. Now, the final bit is our reins. And this is one that most people tend to get confused about because we are going to want to keep our hands in the same position. So no pulling back because ultimately... All pulling back does is it creates more tension in the neck. It's going to stop the forward momentum. It's going to get our horses to compress and shorten their neck, which is going to make those neck muscles really tight. And it's going to create a really not smooth transition. That's really bad English. I'm really sorry. It's going to create a really disjointed sudden transition. And so instead, we want to be able to close our hand into a slightly tighter fist, almost like you're squeezing water out of the sponge but we want to keep our hands in the same position. Now, this with the seat aid ultimately creates like a closing or a containing of the energy, similar to a half halt. And it's going to get your horse sitting, it's going to get them compressing, it's going to get them taking the weight more onto their hind leg as they come down into a kind of more balanced downwards transition. You might find when you do this that your horse needs that pullback and that is purely because this is the aid that they've been taught that the rider pulls back on the reins to stop but you will find that lots of problems will happen because of this you might find you have sudden transitions you might find your horse gets really strong you might find that the transitions are really um, unbalanced and not smooth you might find that the kind of quality of the pace you then have once you've made that downwards transition isn't very good so we want to try and phase that out as much as possible Now, the last thing I want you to do is in terms of your position, you're going to stay nice and tall and I want you to keep your eye line high. So don't let yourself draw your eye line and your chin down towards your horse's kind of pole or even worse, down to their neck. And this is because what this does is it encourages us as the rider to kind of tilt our upper body forward. If you can keep your eye line high, it's going to keep your upper body back and up which is going to help your horse to stay balanced, stay on their hind leg and not fall onto the forehand in that transition. Once you've made that transition down, be very quick to release your seat in your hand as soon as your horse kind of comes down into that new pace, because this is going to be the thing that kind of tells them that they've done it all right. So now we've covered downwards transitions, we can start to talk about upwards transitions. And these are a little bit more simple. These are the ones that people tend to get quite easily. The legs is quite logical. This is going to be the main part of our aid. We're going to use your heel with a nudge. Now, lazy horses, you're going to want to think shorter, quicker nudge. Hot horses, you're going to think softer, longer nudge. This nudge is one aid. What I see is probably the biggest problem with upwards transitions is that we see one and then we see two and then we see three, four, five, six, seven, eight nudges until our horse is trot. Be very clear. The aid for your upwards transition is one nudge. If your horse doesn't listen to this, which is quite common with lazy horses, give them one, max two big kicks. And this is like your correction aid. This is your get in front of my leg, stay forward, pay attention. Then you come back to walk, you put that one nudge on again. If they don't listen, you go for the two quick kicks and you repeat that process until they start to listen to that one nudge and it will happen. 
The next thing then is our seat. Now, the main focus here is that you keep a soft seat. We don't want any restricting our horses. So if you find you get a bit tense, your seat gets a bit tight, you're closing or you grip with your knees or your upper thighs, this is all part of our aid for a downwards transition. So it's going to be something that's almost stopping our horses from being able to go forward. So instead, we want to make sure that our upper legs, that our knees, that our leg is nice and relaxed and loose so that we're not restricting our horses. And the same applies for our reins. We want to make sure that we don't restrict or stop our horses from being able to go forward. If you find you struggle with this, what you can do is soften your hand a little bit forward and focus on keeping your fist a little bit open and nice and relaxed. As you put your aid on, it's just going to help your horse to feel free to be able to go forward and not restricted and held back. And when it comes to our position, it's similar to the downwards transitions. Eye line high, upper body up, looking in the direction we're going. It's going to help our horses to stay tall, to stay balanced. And it's going to make the transition really smooth and not allow our horses to kind of fall onto the forehand or run into the transition. So they are our two kind of sets of aids then, upwards transitions and our downwards transitions. The main thing we're looking for with these then is the smooth transition and the responsiveness in training. The more you do these, the better they will become. Stay focused very much on the type of response that you're looking for. We want immediate response. We want smooth. We don't want any bracing or tightening or tensing as our horse goes up. And then when you start to apply these transitions into a test, that's then your next stage. I always say that I think your first step is getting good transitions. And to start with, it might take you a bit of time to set it up. So you might find that you have to wait a little bit to get the walk to a stage where the walk feels good enough and your horse is listening to you and ready to then be able to put that upward transition aid on and get a really good trot transition. And that's totally fine. Take your time with this until you're able to get really good at setting your horse up and that period comes a lot shorter. And that that point where you're able to put that aid on always gets you that really good transition. Once you're there and it's really consistent, then you can start to think about putting this into your tests and being able to do those transitions kind of when you want to, where you need to. But I wouldn't start thinking about that yet until you can really consistently ride good transitions. Because if you're trying to set your horse up and you're not practiced at setting your horse up, it's going to take you a lot longer. And if you're rushing your horse, you're going to end up in those situations where those transitions don't end up paying off. So we want to make it really clear to our horses what kind of transitions we want first. Then we start to put it into tests at specific markers at specific times. So hopefully then this episode has helped you to break down your transitions and made you realise how important they ultimately are, not just for our horses, but for us as riders as well. If you have found this episode helpful, please do share it. The best way to do this is usually on social media and you can tag us, let us know what's been most helpful in this episode to you, what you've really taken away, what you're putting into your training. And if you have any questions as well, we are going to be doing a troubleshooting episode next week where we go through a few of our our different followers and different listeners um, questions on transitions and ultimately how to improve them. 
So thank you so much for listening, everyone. As always, if you do have a few seconds spare to leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening to us on, we would be hugely grateful. It just helps us to get the podcast out to more riders. And hopefully that means that we can help as many riders as possible, whether that's riding the transitions better, understanding what engagement means or what a judge has put on their test sheet, or helping them to just have a few more ideas for their training. So share it, follow us, leave us a review. All of that is so helpful and hugely appreciated. Thank you so much, guys, and I will see you next time. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.